leave your mark. That's what we're talking about uh, all month long. We're continuing our sermon series on the book of Mark. Um, we've talked about Mark chapter 1 and 2, and Pastor has just done a great job explaining to us and talking to us about the book and each chapter. Today we're continuing on with that, looking at Mark chapter 3. So you can turn there uh, if you would, please. What I want to point out in today's message uh, kind of give you a heads up on what to expect. The fact that in Mark chapter 3, Jesus, like he is so much throughout Scripture, and even just in today's modern context, he is um, misunderstood, and he's also misrepresented. And nobody likes to be misrepresented. Do you like that? I mean, when somebody's like, oh yeah, this guy, he's a real jerk. I'm not a jerk. <laughs> Some people have called me a jerk. They've called me arrogant. They've called me <laughs> pompous. They've called me, and that's just, that's just my wife. Yeah. <laughs> She's not even here. She was here first. <laughs> but people call me things, you know, and, and I've, been, I've, been, I've been labeled. You know, and we, we, nobody likes labels. Nobody likes to be misrepresented or, or misunderstood. But sometimes we have those labels, and unfairly so. You know, you, you think about different labels, like, oh, the lazy one or the underachiever, or the overeater, or the jealous one, or the angry guy, you know? And, and people, I mean, sometimes it fits, but sometimes we allow those labels to define us. And yeah, we might have mistakes, we might have a past, we may have done things wrong, we may have uh, faults in our lives, things that we're struggling with, but those things do not have to define us and who we are and how we see ourselves and how other people see ourselves. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I want you to preach with me. Come on, Bato. You got to do this with me. We're in this together. Because I felt as we were worshiping today that some chains were going to come off of some people today, that some labels that we have been working through are going to come off so that we can begin to see ourselves the way that God sees us, not the way that man sees us, or even the way that we have been viewing ourselves today. How many of you are ready to receive the way that God sees you today? Amen. Talking about labels, you know, like in film or on TV, writers try to create characters that fit nicely into little boxes because that's easy for the viewer or the audience to understand what's happening and where we're going. You know, like you have, you have the hero, you have the villain, you have the victim, you have the, the, the jock, you have the flirt. And each one of these little characters helps make up a nice story, you know, with the plot and the protagonist and the antagonist and all of the different pieces. But in reality, in our life, we are way more than any one label that wants to put on us and just identify us and say, oh, that's who you are. No, no, no. I'm way more than that. I have moved on from that. I have reinvented myself from that. That's not me anymore. That might be who I was in high school. That might be who I was before I got saved. But I am made new in Christ Jesus today. And I'm not the old man. I'm the new man. So it's all about labels. You know, I remember the first time. I don't think I'll ever forget the first time I met Charity's parents. So my wife is Charity. Uh, she was here first service, like I mentioned. And her parents were living in Raleigh at the time. Charity and I had been dating for just a couple months, and it was, it was the time, you know, it was the meet the parents, you know, like the come to Jesus kind of moment, like, this is, this is it. This is the, uh, the, the make or break, do or die, you know, I mean, maybe it wasn't that, like, dramatic, but like, but I still wanted to make a good impression. 
You know, so I go there, and I've got, like, good posture the whole time. And um, I'm trying to, like, say all the right things. You know, I'm trying real hard to keep all my jokes clean. <laughs> I have to try real hard to do that, apparently. Um, but I'm just trying to, like, be, you know, informative, but not a know-it-all, to be helpful, but not too helpful, trying to, like, walk on eggshells. You know, this is the first time I'm meeting what could be my future in-laws, and I don't know how it's going to go. Definitely want to make a good first impression. So it's, it's, it's Charity's parents and her and me for the majority of the time, just the four of us, having a great time, you know? Do you remember that first time when you met the, the, the parents? Well, the, the moment... Not like the second moment or like, you know, hours later or whatever. Like the moment that Charity went upstairs, her mom corners me. Like she barely even got up the stairs at their house. And her mom says, so. <laughs> I was like, oh, it starts. Like, really? You're going to do this? She starts, she starts grilling me. So what are you looking for in a wife? I'm like, what? Like you're just going to come right, coming in hot, just like right out the gate. Just, what are you looking for in a wife? And I'm like, okay, so now I just have to just describe charity because that's the only right answer right now, right? <laughs> I can't say, oh, I, I was always wanted my wife to be blonde, and, you know, charity's not blonde. It is just brunette. That's what I want. Yeah, some 5'3", you know, just, and just going down the list, size 7 shoe, um, you know, like, that, that, that is the only right answer in that moment. And uh, so she's like, so what qualities about charity do you, uh, you know, admire or like the most? You know, what stands out to you? It's like, okay. All right. So I'm like sweating bullets here. Like, all right, don't say the wrong thing. Got to say the right thing. Got to be flattering, but not like too flattering. Um, and so then, so, so I, I, bet, I guess I passed that section of the, of the oral exam, okay? And my, then, then they were no longer concerned, and when I say they, it was really her mom. Her dad just sort of sat there off in a distance, kind of like with his arms, like just like watching, taking mental notes. I'm like, what are you thinking right now? Like, when are your questions coming? They never came. So they were fine with me, I guess, and they weren't really concerned as much about me being a good fit for charity, but then it seemed like things shifted, and then they were more concerned, is charity a good fit? for me, almost to the point where I felt like they were trying to scare me off. Like, let me give you an example. Like, her mom says, now you know, Marcus, charity is really quirky. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, quirky. Like, I don't know what the angle is on this, but uh, yeah, that's, that's what makes her so great. You know, she's just, we're all kind of quirky, aren't we? We all have our different, you know, little things that, that and she's like, no, not, not charity. She's like, really quirky. <laughs> my brain, imagination's starting to wonder, like, okay. Uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know. Quirky's great. That, that's fine. And um, I, I was trying to explain, like, you know, trying to explain it away, trying to make a good first, first impression. And then um, she's like, no, no, Marcus, not like anybody else. I'm like, you're really emphasizing this here. She says, she emphasized and she's got this really southern draw. Like, if you know Charity, you'd be confused how southern her mom is. Because Charity doesn't have any kind of accent. But her mom does. Like, she's, like, has that, like, southern, like, she says, she's really quirky. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, then. I, I get the point. Um, and we, we go on and trying to 
figure out what her angle was. She was just basically uh, trying to warn me. And she said, I just want you to have a heads up, uh, just so you know, so you're not totally caught off guard. And so then Charity comes walking back down the stairs. And she's like, what are you guys talking about? Oh, nothing. <laughs> just, just shooting the breeze. Uh, we get in the car. We go home later. And I tell her what happened. And Charity's like, oh, my goodness. She did not say that. That is, that is ridiculous. <laughs> um, I still don't actually know specifically what she was talking about. But, I mean, a lot of my mind to, to wonder. Um, I have since been told by people even this morning that I am the quirky one versus Charity. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Um, <laughs> Actually, Marcus, you're quirky. You know? So maybe that's why I never picked up on it, because it's just me. But um, it's the labels. You know, people want to label you and say, you know what, this is the box that you fit in. And this is kind of how I view you. When in reality, we really can't let that define us. You know, we have characteristics and we have things about us, sure. But sometimes we have these things, these preconceived ideas or notions, and sometimes they come from ourselves. It might be something that maybe a, an, a, a former boyfriend, girlfriend, maybe even an ex-spouse or a current spouse have said some really uh, challenging things or difficult things or even hurtful, maybe even abusive things. And you're living with that, and you can remember um, the, the way that that made you feel. And it's kind of like, I'm carrying this label now because I feel unwanted. I feel rejected. Uh, maybe it was a boss or, or an employer, you know, somebody that you've worked with, a coworker, and you just felt that they may have directly told you, or maybe it was just a feeling you got to say, wow, um, I'm an underachiever. I don't, I'm not really up to par on, on what's going on here. I feel like that kind of thing happened to Jesus, especially here in Mark chapter 3. So I want to dig into it, and I want to show you how he handled those situations and what we can do to handle those situations in our own life. So without reading the whole chapter for time's sake, just kind of want to paraphrase what, uh, what's happening here. So Mark chapter 3, Jesus walks into the synagogue on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was Saturday. That's the Jewish day for Sabbath. Um, it's kind of just like any day. Sabbath, it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or not. The Sabbath is basically Saturday. But it's a day of rest. Going back to, you know, God, he created the world in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. He gave the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, the Ten Commandments. He gave them to Moses. And in that, the fourth commandment was honor the Sabbath. Keep it holy. This is a holy day. And so they created, um, you know, all of these rules and regulations to honor the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath was a really big deal. Basically, any of the commandments in the Bible are a big deal. But to Jewish people, the Sabbath, that was like an extra big deal. Am I right? It was kind of, a, kind of a thing. So Jesus comes in, and then there's this man, and he had a withered hand or a paralyzed hand. And I believe, like, doctors... We're not allowed to work on the Sabbath, just like farmers were not allowed to harvest on the Sabbath um, in that culture. And so to heal someone, you know, would have been um, against the law on the Sabbath. Got to, got to wait till the next day for that. But Jesus walks into the synagogue and he sees these Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees should have been the good guys. 
They should have been like the pastors. I hope you view pastors as good guys, right? You know, if you don't, then you probably, I don't know, we need to have a talk or something. Like, we're the good guys. You're good guys too. But like Pharisees should have been good. Like, but they were actually sort of the bad guys in this story because they were so focused on the rules and they were so far away from the heart of the issue. Anyway, um, Jesus sees these Pharisees and they're like waiting, you know, kind of like my father-in-law, just waiting for you to make a mistake and say the wrong thing. Not anymore. I love you, Ken. You're awesome. But... Um, <laughs> Jesus sees them, and he gets angry, and he gets filled with sorrow, and he says, in verse 4, I think it is, um, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do what is good or to do what is evil, to save life or to kill? And then he says, I'm going to make a point to you, you, paralyzed hand man, withered hand man, you probably knew his name, he says, stretch out your hand. So the man stretched out his hand, and he was healed. That's the power of God. Amen? Then, immediately, the Pharisees joined with their enemies, the Herodians, which they didn't even like each other, but they both got together, and they began to plot to destroy Jesus. They wanted to take his life. So first of all, how hypocritical is that? Because by their definition, plotting to kill someone should not have taken place on the Sabbath. They should have waited till Monday to do that. <laughs> just, just by their definition. Now, you and I know that we should probably not plot to kill anyone because that's a bad thing to do, okay? And that healing someone should just be able to happen any day of the week. You know, Sunday, Saturday, Sabbath, whatever, day of rest, the Lord's Day. Doesn't matter what day it is. Should just be able to happen. But they were being hypocritical. Jesus likes to point out their hypocrisy, and so that made them mad. So he heals this man, and it kind of messes up their thing. If he's the Messiah, then he doesn't fit in our box. Because the box that we have created for the Messiah is just going to be this ruler, this person that comes in and he sets up a throne, and he, you know, employs us to be on his team, and now we have more power and more authority. Uh, let me give you a little bit of context, if I can, as to why they were so upset. So imagine this Bible here is the law. And the law could refer to the Bible, but especially the Old Testament, especially the first five books of the Bible, uh, Pentateuch, uh, which is five, penta meaning five, like penta, pentagon, you know, five, penta, so that's the first five books of the Bible, and then especially even the Ten Commandments. So here we have all these, the law. And the law is right here. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, they were so adamant about not breaking the law that they built all kinds of other laws and rules so that if you broke any of those laws, you still weren't breaking the law. For instance, using the Lord's name in vain was a really big deal. You didn't want to do that. And so they said, how about this? Don't even use the Lord's name. If you never use the Lord's name... And you don't say Yahweh, you just say the Lord, then you can never use his name in vain, which is actually not true. <laughs> but the Sabbath was the same thing. So they said, all right, to honor the Sabbath, what if we said, you're not allowed to go on a journey on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to walk more than a day's journey on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to do anything. So they, they built all of these laws. So in essence, they created a fence around the law 
to protect the law so that you, you would never even get that close. So that's why they were so upset. They had their nice little box, and Jesus came in, and he disrupted that box. Now, the power that Jesus had was undeniable. He was clearly healing the sick. And so if, if Jesus was that powerful, and it was kind of clear it was coming from God, then, then the Pharisees would have been on the wrong side of the aisle, per se. And so they had to say, oh, no, no, no. Your, your power is not from God. Look what happens. He not only had the power to heal the sick, but in verse 11, he has the power to uh, heal those and deliver those that have been uh, demon-possessed. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, those possessed fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. So even the demons could see that he was the son of God. In verse 22, the scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebul. Or some translations say Beelzebub. You might be familiar with that. Basically just means Satan. That's what that word means. Uh, he has Satan in him, and he drives out demons by the ruler of demons. Kind of a stretch, you know? Like, here he is healing the sick and casting out demons. But Jesus says, well, a house divided cannot stand, so that just doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense to us. We can see that Jesus had the power of God working in him. He literally had... The Holy Spirit, the capital H, capital S, Spirit, God, inhabiting him, the same spirit that can inhabit you and me today, by the way. And the, the Pharisees and the scribes were saying, no, 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 that's Satan. He was mislabeled. He was literally doing something good, and they were saying it was evil. He was healing up, but happened to be on the Sabbath. But they said, no, no, that's evil. So how many times have we been doing something and we find out that, you know what, it is just not the way it seems. You know, you're trying to, I, mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been in situations like that where I'm trying to do the good thing. I mean, maybe I put my foot in my mouth and it seems like it's the bad thing. And I'm like, no, 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 you got to believe me. That's not true. Um, in Jesus, it was a little bit different than that. So he's got these people that are coming against him and it's just untrue. But God is able to look past the labels. He's able to look past the labels in our lives. And he does this time and time again. You see, when he encountered the woman at the well, first of all, she was a woman, second of all, she had a past. She had been divorced six times. She was living with the man. She was doing things that in the culture of the day was looked at as shameful and to be looked down upon. Even just the fact that she was a Samaritan, something that she could not have controlled. It was just, she was just born a Samaritan, so she was looked down upon. Jesus was able to look past the label and say, you know what? Those things might define you by society, but that doesn't define you according to who I am. I see you as valuable. I see you as special. I see you as, as a child of God. I see you as chosen. I see you as, as who you have been created to be, as, 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 as wonderful and beautiful. Think about the, the people he ate with, the sinners and the tax collectors and the people that were looked down upon. You know, uh, Jesus said society might think of you as rejected and unworthy and unlovable and hated. But I see you as someone I want to spend time with. And he's saying the same thing to me and to you today. Think about the, the lepers. Talk about labels. If, if in that day, if there was a leper, like let's say uh, within earshot of you or I don't know, 100 feet away or however close, they would literally have to yell their label 
at you. Leper, I'm a leper. Get away, I'm a leper. They would literally have to yell their label as if that's who they were. And Jesus understand that this person might have leprosy, but that doesn't make them leper. You know, he sees that you may have uh, messed up, but you are not a mess up. You may have had mistakes, but you are not a mistake. Amen? We may have done things. We might have attributes. We may have character defects. and We might have flaws, but we are not those things. So Jesus hears this person that says, oh, I'm a leper, leper, stay away. You know, I'm a leper. It'd be like today, you know, it's like, um, uh, COVID, I have COVID, get away. <laughs> Don't get close to me. I have to quarantine for like two weeks in my house. <laughs> kind of the same thing, but like way worse because like leprosy was, it's pretty bad. We have children present, so I won't describe how bad it is, but it's like nasty, like body parts falling off kind of thing. But anyway, it was really gross. And Jesus didn't care about their label. He saw them as way more than the way people defined them, and he went up to them. And even Jesus was tempted with doubt to believe that he was other than what God said he was. The Father spoke to Jesus. And in Matthew 3, can you put it up there? And he said, and there came a voice from heaven. This is at the baptism. And here comes a dove that represents the Holy Spirit. And John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. And a voice from heaven who is God the Father, Jesus' Father, says, This is my beloved Son. I take delight in him. This is a definitive statement. God the Father is telling God the Son, Jesus Christ, who he is. This is not a conditional statement that says, You are my beloved Son as long as you can do good things. Or you're my beloved son, as long as you get baptized, or as long as you listen to Mary, your mother, or as long as you do this, as long as you do that. No, no, no. This is my beloved son. I take delight in him. It's an affirmative, an affirmation statement. It's a declarative statement. Look at what it says just three verses later. It's in the next chapter, but Satan comes and he says, the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus had just fasted for 40 days, and now Satan is tempting him. And he doesn't say, you know you're the son of God, so turn these stones to become bread. No, he says, if he wants to twist what God said and cause doubt to come in. Satan used this this tool of doubt in Jesus' life. And if he tempted Jesus with doubt, how much more is he going to try to doubt us to believe that we are who God says that we are? Am I right? I mean, he even says to do a miracle. If you do these things, if you can perform this mighty act, this good work, this thing, then we'll know that you really are God's son. And I wonder if the same is being true in our lives. You know, sometimes we believe, you know, I, I, am I a Christian? Am I a good person? Am I going to heaven when I die? Do I, am I really, you know, secure in my identity with Christ? You know, well, if, if I do good things, then I know that I am a child of God. If I 
almost in a conditional way. Like, if I can do enough good things, if I can earn my way into heaven, you know, then God will count me as worthy. But right now, I'm making a lot of mistakes. My relationship with my significant other isn't really great right now. And I'm just not feeling loved. I'm not feeling worthy. Um, I've sinned. You know, I have this habitual sin, and I just can't get rid of it. But if I can kick that habit, whether it's an addiction or something else, maybe it's sin in your life, and it just keeps coming back. If I can get rid of that sin, this is what Satan's telling you. If you can do that, then you'll be a son or a daughter of God. Then you'll be a child of God. But that's not what God said. God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So when Satan, and I'm not telling you to go on with your habitual sin, okay? You would be a Pharisee if you gathered that from what I'm saying, okay? Obvious. Jesus doesn't want you to live in habitual sin. But it's not because of... Uh, the fact that you are worthy if you stop sinning. It's because sin hurts you, and God doesn't want you to live in pain and having to seek after the affirmations of the world. Listen, when you realize that you are worthy because God declared you worthy, then you don't have to seek worth from anyone or anything in this planet. Am I right? You are worthy because God says you are worthy. Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, not after we became good people, then he paid the price for us. He said while you were sinners, that literally means while we were enemies of God, he, he counted us worth it to die for us. And he paid the price. We all sinned. We should have to pay for that sin. And we should go to hell for eternity. But Jesus said, no, no, no. Because I'm the son of God. I'm qualified to take that from you. And he paid the price for us. And the greatest thing is that God considered us worth it. Or worthy. Like, like he said, yeah. So, so how much is it going to cost? Oh, it's going to cost my son. It's going to cost the nails marks in his hands for eternity. It's going to cost losing the thing that I hold most dear. Yeah, that's worth it. I'll pay that price. So I want you to know today that you are worthy. Not, not in our own effort or in what we've done, but because of what God did for us. That's good stuff. Amen. Give God a shout of praise right now. Amen. And if Satan is going to tempt Jesus with doubt, he's going to tempt you to doubt. But Jesus combated that in a couple different ways. So in this passage, I've identified like three different groups of haters or, you know, you might call them, you know, they might all be haters, but, you know, people that are coming against Jesus. Uh, one group was the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus, number one, refused to believe the lie. So that's number one if you're taking notes. Refuse to believe the lies. 
he, he combated it even with logic. And he said, As, you know, a house divided cannot stand. You think I'm doing this in the power of Satan? That's simply not true. He didn't entertain it. The second group of people was actually Jesus' family. Um, I didn't read it, but in verse 21, his family heard this, and they set out to restrain him because they said he's out of his mind. And his family, they did believe eventually, but they were slow to believe. Even his mother is included here. They saw what he was doing. He wasn't eating. He was healing on the Sabbath. He was uh, hanging out with sinners, tax collectors, doing all this stuff. And they said, oh, he's out of his mind. So they actually came to get him and try to take him back home to be like, hey, Jesus, you've gone a little too far. The whole, like, eat my flesh, drink my blood, like, yeah. You could maybe change the way you said that. My family does that to me sometimes, <laughs> especially Charity. She's like, you know, you could have changed the way you said that. You didn't have to, like, <laughs> like in the first service, I made fun of Dale Duckworth on accident. And <laughs> when I get home, she's going to be like, yeah, you probably didn't need to, to do that. <laughs> in a bigger sense, that's what Jesus' family was doing. They were saying, He's out of his mind. And Jesus did this. This is how he combated number two. He surrounded himself with people that believed in him. He had called the apostles or, or the disciples, the 12 disciples. And he had people that were following him and believing him. That happens also here in Mark 3. And then his family was outside. And somebody came to Jesus and they said, Hey, your, your mother and your brothers and your family, is they're here. They're to get you, to take you home, talk some sense into you. And this is Jesus' response. He says, those that do the will of my Father, those that do my will, behold, my mother and my brothers and my sister. You guys are my family. It's like, burn. It's like, wow, Jesus, you just like, I'm not telling you to disown your family. Don't get that from this. But I am telling you that Jesus surrounded himself with people that believed what God was saying about him. And when you surround yourself with people that believe the label that Satan wants to put on you, then it's going to be a lot more difficult to live your life, to live your best life now, to be doing who you are and who God's called you to be. But when you surround yourself with people that believe in you, when you get into a small group here at church, when you get on a ministry team, when you get with people that are going to help keep you accountable, yes, know when you fail and make mistakes, but they're going to stand with you and say, you know what, you're not your mistake. You are a champion in Christ. You are more than an overcomer. You are a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You've got this. They're not going to say, you're out of your mind. Come back home. Go back to doing what you're doing. But they're going to say, you can do this. Do not give up. Keep going. There is no weapon formed against you that can prosper. God is for you. So who can be against you? The enemy is a liar. Satan is defeated. He is under your feet. You've got this. Keep going on. Don't give up. That's the kind of people that we need to surround ourselves with. And then the last thing he did, the third, the third point, is when Satan was coming directly against Jesus and Satan was trying to create a false narrative lies and doubt. Sometimes we want to believe that false narrative. Sometimes it's easy to disbelieve that false narrative. You know, like for me to believe like, oh, Marcus, uh, you're not, because I, I love to preach, right? But I have that, that false narrative sometimes that says, you know what, Marcus? You're not a good enough preacher. How many of you have felt like you're not, you don't have to raise your hand, but you felt, I'm not good enough. So, well, Marcus, you're, you're a wannabe 
You know, you're not T.D. Jakes up there. You're not, you know, this person or that person and, you know, trying to do things. I'm hosting a conference next month, which is pretty cool. And in just two weeks, I was able to reach the goal that I had for the number of people that I wanted to attend the conference. It was like a small little sort of thing. Yeah. (laughs) But then I noticed that somebody else is having a conference. And I invited a guest speaker to my conference. It's it's for pastors. This is why I'm not giving you all the details. But ask me about it if you're interested later. And I invite a speaker. And I'm excited about the speaker that I've got. But then I'm on Instagram, you know, the comparison trap. And I noticed somebody else is hosting the conference, but they've got, like, the A-list celebrities. Every person is going to be there. And then Satan's, like, over here telling me, oh, you know what, Marcus? Your conference is just, you're a wannabe conference. You're, you're just, wanting, you're not good enough. You're not as good as that person. And when it gets to those moments, you know what we need to say? You know what Jesus said? He said, it is written. And he began to quote the scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone. It is written. You worship the Lord your God only. And then he said this the last and third time. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. And sometimes I I believe this lie and it's like, oh, well, you're not good enough preacher. What if they don't say amen? What if they don't clap? What if they don't cry? What if they don't do this? Then I have to say, get thee behind me, Satan. I'm not doing it for people. I'm doing it for God. My ministry is to Jesus Christ, to God Almighty. An overflow of that is ministry to people. I'm not doing this for you. I'm not doing this. I'm doing this for God. So I'm just being obedient. And you know what? If I don't have as many people at my conference as somebody else does, it doesn't matter. I'm called to do what God has asked me to do. And thank God he's put his hand on my ministry and he's using it mightily for his kingdom. But it doesn't matter if nobody shows up because I'm doing it for God. I'm doing it for him. And I'm just being obedient to what God has called me to do. And I can tell myself the word of God and I can affirm myself, you know what? I am good enough. Not in my works, but I am who God says I am. Because his word says that that is who I am. Yeah. And so I want you, I wanted to come up with all of the different ways that we can be labeled. And I wanted to point them out so that you could identify one of them and learn how your life could be different. But I don't know you as well as God knows you. And that's an understatement. But if you would join me in bowing your head and just closing your eyes right now, I invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and say, God, what is the label that I have believed about myself that someone has placed on me? Or maybe mistakes that I've made that I go ahead and attribute that to being the label. Or maybe... It's just a belief that I have about myself. And I want you to allow God to show you and reveal to you that false narrative, that lie, that that doubt. And then now what I want to do is I just want to declare the scripture over you. And I want you to know that if you think today that you are not good enough, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Philippians 4, 13. 
Some of you today might think that you are a failure. Well, Romans 8.37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Philippians 1, 6, that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You might think that you're ugly in this place, but Psalm 139 says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. You might think today that I am stuck in sin and I will never get out. I will never stop living this life of habitual sin. But the Bible tells us in Romans 6 that we are no longer slaves to sin. But when we give our life to Christ, we can be slaves to righteousness. You might think that you are worthless here today and that you are unloved and that nobody is ever going to care for you. But 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you were bought with a price. You are priceless today. And just like Jesus in that scripture was tempted to believe that he wasn't the Son of God, John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God is telling you that you have the right to become his son or daughter. And there's nothing that Satan can do or say to change that fact. And so before I close, I hope that God has ministered to you today. But maybe there's somebody in here that's still dealing with that ultimate label of sinner, lost, unsaved, unredeemed. God wants to change that to saved, redeemed, purchased, righteous, loved, and it's as simple as asking God to forgive you of your sins and saying, Lord, change the label and make me new. I choose to follow you today. God loves you. We've sinned. We've separated ourselves from God. But Jesus paid the price that we should have paid. And today you can make that decision to follow Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand with me today? And as we sing this song, I want it to minister to you. And I want you to just uh, allow God to speak to you the truth. Amen.
Let's give it up one more time for our amazing praise and worship team. What a great message, eh, Marcus? Thanks for sharing with us. As I was sitting here receiving the message today, I was thinking about labels. We all got a label. We've all got a past. We've all got a story. I remember coming in here on a Thursday night, sitting right here on this church, on this front row, and just thinking about my past. A lot of mistakes, a lot of heartbroken. Me and my wife were talking about yesterday, we wish we could have had a redo button in life. Well, the great part about it today is we all have a redo button, and it's called accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And I thank Him for letting me sit right there and changing my life forever. And I think about that as a label, it's not a football coach, it's not a teacher. But in God's eyes, we're a child of God. And at the end of the day, I think about Satan tries to remind us of our past, but guess who's quick to remind him of our future? It's all about Jesus. Sometimes I'm just in awe when we sit back and think, Lord, I don't deserve any of this. Took a sinner like me, and you know my name. He knows your name. I watched this beautiful little girl go sit on her daddy's lap during the service today, and I was just thinking about the child of God, he knows her name. And it's special. It's very special. Let's pray and uh, let's get our Lord and Savior all the honor, glory, and the praise. Dear Lord, I just thank you this morning. Thank you for taking a dirty old sinner like me that doesn't even deserve to be here today. But Lord, you've washed us white as snow. You've died on that cross and shed your blood for a sinner like me. Lord, we love you. We honor you. We give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise. Lord, I ask you to be with our country. You be with our leaders. You be with our pastor. You be with our staff. That you put a hedge of protection and a shield of favor around this country, this state, and this church, Lord, that no outside distractions will enter this building. That, Lord, this is protected by the walls of your faith and shed your blood. Lord, we're just... Uh, I'm in all, Lord, to just sit in your presence each day. And I want to say thank you. I thank you for being a good, good father. Lord, we love you. We honor you. I pray for every child in this building. I pray for every couple. Lord, that we have no anxiety, no depression. Pray for marriages. Pray for uh, jobs. Lord, there's a, there's a lot of hurt in our world. But, Lord, for every prayer card that's in that box today, Lord, we know you're checking that box with the praise. Lord, we love you. Be with each family as we go our separate ways. We honor you and thank you. In your gracious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing today. You can give at www.gracechurch.tv give or by downloading the app and select give. We can't wait to see you next week.